So when I was in college, I did the most crazy thing. And uh, I went to work during the night, and I went to school during the day. It was terrible. And so uh, it was, I, I, to be honest, it was like I don't have lots of memory uh, of it. Because <laughs> I, uh, I would come home like on Fridays after work, I'm not even lying, and I would sleep like 12 hours. And my wife, we had uh, Leah, who's, if you know my family, I have three kids now, but we only had Leah. And uh, I'm not even joking, if you asked her, she'd say she felt like a single mom. And that is totally true. And so um, I worked at FedEx Freight. And the first day I uh, got into orientation, uh, I met this guy named Chris. We uh, got hired at the same time. Chris was a full-blown atheist. And uh, not was he, he wasn't just one of those atheists that were like, yeah, you know, you, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. He was like, you believe in God? You're dumb. Um, he was that type of atheist. And, and so over the next couple years, two years, we had lots of conversation. We got to know each other really well. We became really good friends. We'd go out to breakfast afterward, me, him, and a few other dudes. Uh, we'd go to Starbucks afterward. We got to share our life stories with one another. Uh, and most importantly, this is the thing that really held our relationship together. We both equally disliked our job. And so, right, right, work nights, it's not hard to dislike it, right? And so we both equally disliked our job, and that's probably was the foundation of our friendship. I'm not even lying. And so after like, after like six, seven months of just getting to know one another, we, our conversation started changing, not because I imposed anything or wasn't like this guy trying to beat somebody with the Bible. I wasn't doing any of that. I was just his friend. And he was legitimately curious. Be like, dude, you seem like a smart guy. Why, are you, why do you believe these things? Like, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, so <laughs> our conversations in the beginning went from uh, things like this. If God is good, why is there evil? And as time went on, uh, he started getting more interested in the Bible. And one thing I just told him, I said, dude, here's the deal, man. If, if you really want to know why, like, I'll give you a Bible and you can read it yourself. If you got any questions, like, you could write them down and we'll work through them. And so, like I said, conversations went from trying to disprove the God I believed in to can you help me understand the Trinity because it is extremely confusing, right? And so here's this guy who was a full-blown atheist and actually called me dumb a few times um, about believing the things I believed, and that's how our conversations started shifting. And I started knowing a, a change in him, and then there was this one particular day, and this is like, probably like a two-year process, he walks in, and I will never forget it. And I have never seen him look so burdened in my life. He was just—he was doing his thing real quiet, and if you knew him, that wasn't him. He, was, he wanted to talk and have good conversation. He's just an outgoing guy. In his uh, lovely atheist days, he's what we would call a party animal. And so he was just super burdened. And so after about an hour, I said, hey, man, are, are you good? Like, everything okay? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll talk to you more about it, you know, at break. And I said, okay. And um, so we got to break, and I sat with him. I said, man, is, you know, everything okay? He said, yeah, man, I just, I really need to talk to you about some stuff. Like, I just have this, this burden of, and just these things that are just weighing so heavy on me, and I just really need to talk to you about it. And I looked at him like, did I do something wrong? Like, we need to fight? Like, what's going on? You know, like, what's, what's happening here? So if you're a guy, like, that makes sense, right? Girls, you look at, ladies, you look at us, and you're like, you're dumb. Uh, and so, so I'm like, did, like, did I do something wrong? Like, what's, you know, what's, like, what's going on? 
And usually, like, the reason I say that is because dudes will fight, and then after that we'll be friends again, right? And so, um, and so he was like, no, 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 we're good. Like, let's just go to Starbucks after, after work. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's do that. And so as the day went on, I could continue to see this burden did not change. And uh, to be honest, it was probably like his worst day of production at work. It was actually kind of funny. Um, but so I want to get back to this story. And what I want to do right now is I want to jump into Genesis chapter 2. And I will get back to this story in a minute. But if you, so if you have your Bibles, jump to Genesis chapter 2. Um, and we're going to be in verse 15. But before we get into verse 15, what I want to do is I want to give us a little bit of background about uh, Genesis and, and we're really early. If you've been around the Bible or church or anything like that, you understand that Genesis 1 and 2, those are really the creation stories. So in, in Genesis 1, we, we see God creating the earth in and, and six days, the plants, the animals, all of, all of those things. And then on um, uh, the sixth day, this is what happens. Uh, this is uh, verse 26, and I'm going to get to 15 in a minute. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them t- uh, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air uh, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, And God said to them, uh, and, God, oh, and God said to them, I wrote that twice, be, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, uh, of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's the deal. If we're ever going to understand the gospel, we have to understand these first few chapters of the Bible. I remember being in discipleship with this guy named Ben Glad, and uh, he's a professor at some seminary now, and he said that very thing to me one time, and I just looked at him, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Like, I don't, I don't get it. But in this very few sentences, and I'm going to get to verse 15, uh, 2 verse 15 right now, this is what God is saying. God has given Adam dominion over his creation, over his creation. And he tells Adam, he commissions him to do this thing. He says, I want you to subdue all of the earth. In other words, here's what, here's what he's doing. He is placing Adam, he's given Adam positional authority as a vice regent. Anybody familiar with that? I'm not in youth groups, so nobody raised their hand. Amazing. All right. So a vice regent, it's someone who just governs an, an, like a kingdom or a country in place of the ruler. So think a king oversees his country. He leaves for a little bit. He puts somebody in place to rule over his kingdom. This is what God did with, with, uh, with Adam. God is supreme over his creation, but he tells Adam, hey, I give you dominion over all of creation. In other words, rule, authority. He has positional authority over creation. And he tells him to, have, uh, to subdue all of the earth. In other words, what he's saying is this. Your job, Adam, is to care for the thing that I've given you and to take my glory to the ends of the earth. Make me known throughout all of the earth. This is your job. This is what I want you to do. And so uh, and up on the screen you'll see this, and I just want to summarize so that way we understand. As vice regents, right, God commissioned Adam and Eve to govern all of creation as representatives of himself. They are to subdue all of creation in order to bring God's glory to all of the earth. Now, fast forward to Genesis 2, 
15. We're going to jump a little bit. We're going to get through a story, and then we'll get to Romans 5. So Genesis 2.15 says this, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here's what's happening, because we have two creation accounts. We have Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Those are the two things. God now is giving us more detail into Genesis 1. He's explaining, he's giving us more information as to what is happening uh, in that creation account. And so we see two things here. We see two things in these first few verses. And this is what we see. One, we see a condition. A condition. Right? God looks at Adam and he just says, hey man, here's the deal. This is how you can care for it. I know you need to eat, so eat of anything you want, just not that tree. Or else, if you do that, you will surely die. So that's the condition. Don't do this thing and you will live. It's really simple. It's really, really simple. But the other thing that we find out later as, as Scripture is revealed to us is this, is that not only is this a condition, but this is a law. This is something that God commands him. It's an imperative. It's important for him to listen and to follow, right? But the purpose of these commands are to push humanity closer to God, closer to God. They're not to to come and, and place this huge burden on you and, and, and say, man, God, keeping your commandments is hard. The whole purpose of them is to push you closer to God. As, as Paul says in Galatians 3, that the law was a guardian until Christ came. And Paul also says in Romans 7 that the, the law is righteous and good. And so the purpose of this is to push Adam closer to God. It's to make him more dependent upon his creator. It's supposed to build that relationship. And so as we see this happening, right, and, and here's what I want us to understand, because this happens a ton. And, and when I was working for FedEx, I was hanging out with a ton of unbelievers all the time, and uh, they, would, they would have, like, broken relationships and all of these things. And so when we would get talking, and this is when I told you, Chris said, you seem like a smart guy. I'm really not. So he, would, they, like, he had these relational issues, and he would look, and, and he would talk to me about it, and I'd give him advice. And what I would do is I would just give him Godly advice. Like, man, like, what does the Bible teach me about relationships? And I would take those things, and I would say, hey, man, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should pursue your relationship with your girlfriend this way. Or maybe you should pursue your relationship with your mom because that relationship's super broken this way. And move towards reconciliation. And there was a day that came, and, and he's like, man, you're, like, like those rela- that, re- that stuff's good, right? Like, like, that's good wisdom right there. And so we finally got to a place where he was like, man, like, I don't understand. And so it was an opportunity for me to share the gospel with him again, over and over and over again. So when we understand these things, it's it, like, and we just give these, this advice to people, and they're able to, to, to take that advice that we give them and implement it in their relationships, even if they're unbelievers, and they see the good that comes out of it, it's going to provide an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. And that comes directly from the scripture. Does that make sense? Everybody following and tracking with that? that like, this is why it's important to, to understand these concepts, to know these things. And so when we understand the law and these commands that are given, remember this. God is protecting us not only uh, from ourselves but from one another, from harming one another in relationships. 
And so when you interact with your unbelieving friends, this is what I want you to understand. If we, uh, if we push our unbelieving friends toward God, uh, I'm sorry, if we want to push our unbelieving friends toward God, give them godly advice. It's a way to get to the gospel, and it's a way to see reconciliation start happening in their lives. Verse 18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Amen. And all the men said amen. You guys haven't had your coffee. Women, I am super sorry. Um, I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 19 For out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Then the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But from Adam, but for Adam, there was no found, uh, there was not found a helper fit for him. So just so you can see what's happening here. This is another example of Adam having dominion over all of creation, positional authority to do this. Uh, this, this right here, especially in the ancient Near East, that was the culture of his day. Okay? This represents uh, him having authority over creation to name something. For example, when my daughter was born, my wife and I picked her name because she's ours. We have positional authority over her as her parents. In the same way, Adam had positional authority over all of creation, he had dominion, and God gave him the privilege of naming all, all of the, the animals and the birds and the sea. Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. Verse 21. So the Lord God pa uh, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took uh, one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22, and the, rib, uh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, uh, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so that is awesome. And now as we get into Genesis 3, we're going to get into verse 1. We're going to start to see how the story goes downhill. Not because she was created. I want to make that clear. Okay? Okay? She was good. She was a helper. She was fit for Adam. I just want to make that clear because I realize what I just said flowed directly after the woman's creation. So... Verse 1, I love my wife. She's awesome. And if you get to know us, she will be your favorite. Um, <laughs> verse 1 um, says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen closely, guys, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So it wasn't her, men, that caused things to go south. Okay? But the first thing the serpent does is he questions God's word. It's the first thing he does. When you break relationships in your life, it is because you think your wisdom is greater than God's wisdom. And you have forgotten what God has said. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. God said, you shall not eat of 
you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Is that what God said? He said, just don't eat of it. He didn't say she couldn't touch it. Adam didn't do a very good job of communicating to his wife what God had commanded him to do. Does that make sense? Men, right? Men, love God, love your wives. Teach them God's word. It goes on, and he says this. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent, here is what he does. He twists it, he adds to it, and he tests her knowledge of what God has said. And clearly, she didn't understand. She didn't have a full grasp of what God was trying to communicate. She left it, and she started listening to the things that he was saying. And she started believing the things that he was saying to her. And this was really the seed of sin that was just planted in her heart. Right? That's what's happening here. It's a twisting of God's word. All false religions are built on this very thing here. All of them are. It's a twisting of God's word. It's a result of not knowing God's word. That's what it is. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for, for food... And it was a delight to the eyes. Do you notice this? It has now become a delight for her. Before in the past, it wasn't. So something's happening internally, right? Uh, That it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Darn it, Adam. Right? Right? Come on, dude. Like, this is your responsibility, man. And he blows it. But the sin here, guys, this is, I want us to be careful. I want us to understand what is actually happening. The outward sin is the eating of the fruit, right? The inward sin is the desire to be in the place of God. That's what it is. It's the desire to want to be able to call something good and something bad. Here's a perfect example my son and my daughter, Leah's five, Sam's three, right? I'm not even joking. Just the other day, they were fighting. And she looks at him, and she goes, Sam, you're mean. <laughs> this is awesome. And he looks at her, and he goes, I'm not mean, Leah. I good. <laughs> A three-year-old. This desire to be able to de- determine what is good and evil. You know what that's an example of? How deep sin runs in us. From the very beginning, this is how we are. We want to be able to call things good and evil. You want to know why? Because then we get to keep ourselves in the place of God and make everybody else submit to us. That's what happens here. This is, this is the sin that, that creeped in. That's, what, that's what's going on here. And when we share, like, and we share the gospel with people, we need people to understand that this truth this is, this is it. You want to know why people don't repent and come to Jesus? Because they have to submit to him as king and savior. They don't want to. 
That's what's happening there. They want to be able to rule their own lives and say, God, you know what? I want to be able to go do what I want. How dare you tell me that having sex with a bunch of people is wrong? Right? How dare you tell me that lying is wrong? How dare you tell me that I can't get wasted? How dare you tell me that I have to take responsibility for my own kids and be a good parent? Right? How dare you tell me those things? I determine what is good and what is bad. That is what's happening in this passage. And guys, when we, when we interact with unbelievers, this is the nature of sin that we are wrestling with. You all have to see what you're dealing with and understand those concepts. You have to get it. And then verse 7, look what happened. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Gosh, that's just bizarre, right? Imagine waking up and being like, whoa, what happened? Um, and, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know what's bizarre about this? Is that when I was studying for this, and I was reading this, I'm not even lying. When I read verse 7, like I wrote down my notes, and what I wrote down is exactly what came to like my mind and my heart and what God was doing. And I literally said, isn't this what we do all the time? Like, seriously, this is what I set down. I would always rather cover up my sin and I would always rather live in the shame of my sin and think it is a secret than confess to a merciful God who frees me from it. Isn't that bizarre? I literally wrote that down. Like, that was my response to what I just read when I was preparing. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, dude, that's like everybody's response. Like, <laughs> I'm not lying. Like, that's everybody's response. Like, ask Jeff. Anyone who's been in vocational ministry, ask Cindy, who, who counsels with people all the time. The moment they come in, they're like, man, I got all this chaos in my life going on. And you sit and you just start asking questions. You start listening. And then, you know, it starts to reveal itself. The sin they're trying to cover up. Like, I'd say like nine out of ten. Like, there's some type of sin that they're covering up. Well, this person did this and this person did this and blah, 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 blah. And, right? And blah, blah, blah. And point, point, point. Right? And then like... And then you start asking questions, well, how did you respond, and how did you do this? And then you start to realize, man, that person was just as big as a jerk as the person that they're upset with, right? But this is how we respond, and this is how all of us respond. We would rather live in the shame and guilt of our sin than confess to a merciful God who frees us from it, right? And guys, I want you to see how this is connected to the sin that, 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 that was just displayed, Right? If we are in the position of God, then I don't have to hide it because what I say is good. Do you catch that? Do you catch that? Do you see what's going on there? Like when you're convicted of sin, you rather hide in it. But when you're like, I'm not going to allow there to be a God in my life and I'm going to be God, you then say, I don't have to live in that shame because I've declared it to what I just did to be good. Do you catch that? Do you see it? So this applies to the unbeliever and to us. They go on, verse 8. It says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. <laughs> this blows my mind. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said this. I imagine his tone was real low. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. As he should be. As he should be. And look why he was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. He's living in the shame and the guilt of his sin, and he tries to cover it up. And he wants it to be a secret. So he hid himself from the Lord. Friends, you can never hide from the Lord. Verse 11, he said, this is God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, don't do this, men. All right. Gosh. 12, the man said, I can't even almost bring myself to read it. It's terrible. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. What a fool. You know what he did? Her. I told her. She didn't listen. And then she forced me to eat it with her. Yeah, he should be ashamed of himself. You're darn right you hid from the Lord, you moron. Anyways, so... Uh, Verse 13, then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She just followed her husband. Right? He did her and then she did that thing over there. Like that thing jacked me up. It got inside my heart, made my mind all weird. And now here I am thinking I'm you. And now I just found out real fast that I'm not. Right? That's exactly what happened. It's... It's terrible. Men, don't do that. Like, seriously. Um, gosh, just, like, take responsibility. Verse 15. And guys, this is how we know God is gracious and merciful. Because listen, the almighty God who gave them positional authority, the God who created this man and woman out of dirt, out of nothing, right? He spoke things into motion, gave things life like that, right? Gave them a condition they knew what they were getting into, right? They said, don't do this or you will die. And he does it. What should the consequences be for their actions? Death. Death. But we're about to see the character of God. And it's going to be amazing. And the promise of God. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God now is speaking to the serpent, who we know is Satan, right? And this is what he's saying to her. I will put enmity, in other words, hostility, listen, hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. I want us to understand what this means theologically, right? The word theology is the study of God, like it's not scary. And so um, this is what this is meaning here. Here's what it's saying. Enmity is hostility. He's not talking about snakes and serpents. He's talking about an ungodly line and a godly line. And he's saying that those two things from this point moving forward 
will be at, opposed to one another until what he actually essentially says at the very end. Uh, and her offspring, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel until the promised offspring that is to come will crush what Satan has done. And so from this point in humanity moving forward, there will be two groups of people. That's it, two groups. Those who submit to God as God, Savior, King, and those who do not and think that they are. Right? Two groups of people, and those two groups of people will always have opposing worldviews, and those two groups of people will always be in opposition with one another to what is true. That is why, friends, today we are still fighting this fight. We are still preaching the gospel. We are still watching the kingdom grow. And this is why there will always be people opposed to the gospel. Because of this truth here. We have to understand what's going on. But the beauty of this is when he says, between your offspring and her, then he gets really specific at the end of that verse. And he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so long story short, what he's talking about is that there's coming another person, another, another man right, who's going to come and undo what Satan just did. He's going to renew all things. He's going to, he's going to give us a new nature, not one that desires to be God, but one that desires to love and serve God. That's what he's getting at. And he's saying that this dude, he's going to come in, he's going to crush your head, bro. Like, that's what's going to happen. This isn't going to be some, like, gentle, soft fight. This, this dude's going to get crushed. That is the promise here. God in response to sin, makes a promise to fix it. This is the gospel in Genesis 3. And then before we get into Romans 5, um, I want to jump down to verse uh, 20 and 21. But before I do, there's, uh, here's what I want you to see. Um, because I want us to understand how this relates to sharing um, our faith from Scripture. So if, on the slide, it'll say this. When we interact with our unbelieving friends, be fully aware that we are now driven by a sinful nature that desires to be in the place of God. This nature will ultimately bring brokenness, shame, guilt, and helplessness, or hopelessness, sorry. Sharing the gospel with them will free them from that sinful nature. The only answer, the only cure to this problem is the gospel. Genesis 3 20 through 21, and I'll, and I'll walk through it pretty quickly. Then we'll get to Romans 5. It says this, uh, verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve um, because she is the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So I want us to pay attention to what happened here, right? Because not only did Adam call his wife Eve, but most importantly is that God made sacrifice for their sin so that they shall not die. And look how it came, through death, because he covered them with garments of skins. This is a foreshadowing of that promise that we just talked about. This is how the head of the serpent will be crushed. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's getting at here. This is foreshadowing, it's pointing to, like, hey, there's going to be another death that's going to happen that will make all things new and give a new nature to people so that way they can love God. That's what's happening. Right? That's what, that's what went down. And so 
I want to, if you have your Bible, flip to Romans 5. We're going to go through 12 through 19. And this is going to explain a ton of what we just talked about. Because Paul, just know this, the Bible is your best commentary. So the Bible is your best commentary. Everything else is secondary. So Romans 5, 12 through 19. So verse 12 starts this way. Therefore, just as same sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So who's Paul referring to? Adam, right? That's really, really clear. He's referring to the sin of that one man. And then, um, <clears throat> and then he's saying because of that particular sin, death spread to all, all people. That's what he's saying. So there's this thing that happened after Adam sinned. Everyone who came after Adam inherited this sinful nature, the one that we just saw in Genesis, right? The one that desires to be in the place of God. That's, that's what we're talking about. Verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Notice what he does here. He makes a distinction between the sins of people from Adam to Moses. It's just a timeline. That's all he's talking about. So if you don't know, there's a timeline between Adam and, the, and Moses and Israel. There's that timeline from creation to them, right? And what he's doing here is he's making a, dis, a distinction. He's saying those sins that those people committed are different Right? Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. This is how we know that Adam had a unique sin that happened that was imputed to everybody who was to come after him. This is how we know, right here. This is how we know that our, our nature, our desire to want to be in the place of God flows out of Adam. He was like a representative, and we essentially received the consequences of his actions. So think. It's the best way to do this. President, right? Trump, Obama, who's before Obama? Bush, Clinton, other Bush, right? Um, sorry, I'm 29. That's as far back as I go. Uh, sorry, I struggled there just to get to the first Bush. I'm not going to lie to you. And so, so anyways, so here's what happens, okay? So if Trump goes to another country and he represents us, right, and, 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 uh, and he makes a bad decision or a good decision, either one, right? Who reaps the benefit of that? We do, right? If he builds relationship in a good way with another country, we reap the benefit of it. It affects all of us long-term, right? But if he makes a bad relationship, what happens? It, right, it falls back on us. So in the same way with Adam, Adam made a poor decision and it fell back on the rest of creation. Why? Because he had dominion over all things. You see that? That vice regent, this theologically is called federal headship. It's just a term, that's what it's called. That concept we just explained, that's, what, that's the term for it. And so he goes on, right, <clears throat> verse 15, and he says this. And this is where he starts to compare and, and to contrast things. Like he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. He's continuing to talk about Adam's sin, the trespass. It's a definite article. He's talking about the specific one, Right? For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam's, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
okay? Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following uh, many trespasses, in other words, all of these trespasses, all of this sin that's been committed, your sin, my sin, everyone in the history of humanity, all of this sin that's been committed, that's what he's talking about now. He separated and went back to addressing all sin, not the one sin. And he says this, but the free gift following many trespasses, look what it says, brought justification. Justification. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned uh, through that one man, much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the free, listen, this is, where we, this is where we find out what that free gift is, right? And the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. And so this whole, this whole thing we're talking about here is justification. This is what we see in Romans chapter 5. It's this doctrine of justification that is so rich and freeing. And this is what it is. Through one man's sin, all have sinned, all inherit a sinful nature, all desire to be in the place of God and determine what is good and what is bad. But through the second man who was to come, Jesus, right, who lives a perfect, holy, righteous life, he gives us a free gift. And that free gift covers all of that sin. And that free gift is what we call righteousness. Friends, this is, what this means is this. When you stand before God and you desire to be in his place, right, but you're a Christian and you've repented, right, and you seek after Jesus, what this means is in those moments of failure where you desire to be God and in his place, God doesn't see it. He sees a holy, perfect, blameless life, and he views you as son and daughter. That guilt, that trespass that was once uh, that once made you dirty and unclean is now removed because Jesus took it on the cross and he has given you that free gift of righteousness and that, gift, and that righteousness makes you clean and holy and blameless before God. That is the beauty of this. That's why when we looked at the end of Genesis 3, verse 20 and 21, when we talked about death, that foreshadow, that is what that's talking about. That is what that's talking about. And because it was in the context of man and woman, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Are you ready? Men, your wife is a daughter of God first. That means that's how you ought to view her. Right? But likewise, women, your husband is a son of God first. And so you ought to view them through the lens of that free gift. It's easy to get frustrated. But when you remember who your spouse is in Christ, it's easy to forgive because their identity never changes to you, right? And so, guys, as we're working through this, verse 18, and we're getting to the end, and I, and I want us to, to see this because this is so, so important. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so, listen, and this is what we're talking about, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you see that? Do you see how freeing this is? 
I want us to understand how freeing this doctrine of justification is. Because what it's saying is this. It doesn't matter how much you jack stuff up. God has covered you. This is not a second chance. This is a new birth. Does that make sense? This is not a second chance. It's not like, oh, man, this is a second chance means that you've got to figure it out this time. New birth means you've been covered from the beginning. Does that make sense? So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. When you've been covered with righteousness, this is what we become. When we recognize the sin in our lives and we desire to seek after God, this, this, and it's like, man, this is what's happening inside of our hearts. We become a new creation. And then we desire and want to love God. We desire to please him. We desire to seek reconciliation in our, in our relationships around us. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. The perfect, holy, righteous one died for people who didn't like him. Right? We need to be like that. And being a new creation moves us in that direction. It gives us a new nature. One that desires to be righteous. And so, on the slide you'll see, and you'll see this on the screen. It says, when we share Christ from the scriptures, we don't have to quote the Bible or read it word for word. We need to be able to explain the truth of the gospel to set them free from themselves. Do you see that? We just have to understand these concepts, guys. We don't have to say, I'm going to take you to Romans 5 today, and we're going to work through the doctrine of justification. That's not what we do with people, right? When people are broken and hurt, and they've done something wrong, you get to tell them this, and this is freeing. This is so freeing, right? Like, that's what this is. And so with that, guys, I want to get back to that story that I started with, with my buddy Chris, okay? He was super burdened. He was feeling it. It was a really weird day. And so after work, we get to Starbucks. He didn't want to fight. That was good, right? And so he looks at me, and he says, man, I have done in my life these terrible things. I've done lots of drugs. I've cheated on girls. I've done terrible things, man. I don't understand how God can forgive me. And you know what I did? I literally just shared the concepts that we just talked about. I did. I said, dude, here's the deal. The reason you did those things is because of sin. There's something inside you that desires to be in the place of God. You want to call good what's good and bad what's bad. And that's why in those moments you did those terrible, terrible things to girls, you've done drugs, whatever that stuff was, right? You've done those terrible things. Because in your heart and in your mind, you thought you had the ability to say this is good in this moment. And now you're in a position where you realize that it's not. Because now your sin has been presented to you in a completely different way. Which is good and encouraging. And I said, but dude, here's the good news. Here's the good news. And I literally just walked through the doctrine of justification without using the word justification. I said, hey man, so here's, here's what happened, okay? I'm going to tell you something you've probably heard me tell you a hundred times, and I'm going to tell you again. This is what happened. Jesus went and he died, man. And when he died on that cross, he took all that sin that you feel right now. 
that shame and that guilt that you're, that you're living in, that you're trying to hide, that you're trying not to show the world, he went to the cross so that way someone like you can go to him and say, God, I live in this and I don't want to. And in return, bro, he gave you his righteousness. So when you stand before God, he sees you as perfect, holy, and blameless. And he looked at me, I'm not even joking, and he said, wait. So what you're saying is, even if I sin, like tomorrow and the next day and the next day, God still views me this way? I said, yes. And he looked and he goes, wait. So it's not, so I can't lose this? I said, no. And in that moment, I'm not even joking, he wept. He just started weeping outside of a Starbucks for about 15 minutes. And he said, I don't understand how God so good can die for someone like me. It was one of the most rewarding moments of my entire life. Guys, it is scary to share the gospel with our unbelieving friends. But when you see someone you love come to faith, it is an experience that you will never forget. Never. And he wept for those 15 minutes. And I looked at him, and I'm not even joking, I said, dude, welcome to the family, bro. Like, welcome to the family, my man. And I'm not even joking. And it's just amazing because what he did is he's like, dude, I need to find a church. Like, can you help me find a church? Because he lived in Redlands, and I lived in the high desert. And if you don't know where the high desert is, good. Anyways, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. My high desert friends will see that. I'm joking. Anyways, um, unless you like, like, off-roading or mountain biking, then you'll be like, yeah, the high desert. Anyways. Um, and so we looked and we, we found a couple of churches. He got plugged into a church. And even during that time after that, man, he struggled. He struggled with like, man, I really like girls. I said, yeah, so do I. I got married. <laughs> Don't be an idiot, you know. And that was a couple months. We had to walk through that. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like now that you're a Christian? And he, at first he's like, no, you're wrong. And I'm like, God's not. Like, let's go back to the thing that that like give us, gives us perfect wisdom. And after a couple months, he got to that place. He's like, dude, again, man, I'm just living in this guilt and this shame of the things that I've done before. Why do I keep committing the same sins that, I've, that I keep doing? And we got to walk through that. And now he's super connected to his church. He's involved in the high school ministry there, and he's just loving it. He's loving it. His life has radically changed. And what was cool about this, this is like the most rewarding thing, is like a couple years later, when you get to hear someone that you led to faith lead somebody else to faith. That is one of the coolest things ever. I'm not even lying. So if you get anything from this, I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to understand where the gospel comes from. I want you to understand these concepts. I want you to know that you don't have to quote the Bible with your friends. You don't have to do these things. You just have to know the truth. And it's not, a process. It's, it's not this thing that's going to happen overnight. It's something that you can walk with someone for years. For years. You know when God started working on Chris when he was born? And then he just said, you know what, y'all are going to work together. That's it. And I was just faithful to those conversations. God, give me an opportunity today. And so every time the opportunity came, we just, I just kept sharing the gospel. I didn't have to defend God. I didn't have to do any of that. He can defend himself, right? Adam and Eve can attest to that, right? But that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I want us to understand. So, guys, be courageous. Go after it. You have nothing to be ashamed of. 
You don't have to defend God. You don't have to do any of this. You just have to get after it. That's it. It's exciting. It's awesome. If you don't have that excitement that, and that, like that feeling to, and that, that desire to want to, it's okay to be nervous. I'm not, okay? That's a feeling of like, I know I should do this, but I'm nervous. But guys, pray for it. Say, God, how do I become more missional? How do I desire these things? Pursue that. Cool? Sorry, that was my like millennial talk coming out. All right. Let me go ahead and pray, and then now we will get into worship. Uh, God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, <clears throat> just the gift of your son and the gift of righteousness. Man, like, I wouldn't be up here without it. None of us would be in this room. Uh, we would all be condemned. Uh, but because you love sinners like us, um, you... So God, please, just um, God, just give us desires and passions to share your, your gospel with the world. In Christ's name, amen. As we go into worship, right?